I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Wednesday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today, I am answering your questions texted into the podcast phone number on things like how to tell if you're growing, can a seven and a two make it in a relationship, and is my dad really a type seven? But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is that I just renewed my AAA membership. That's like the kind of thing that my whole life I thought was like for rich people. Um, But really, it's only like $59 a year and makes me feel so comforted. I also just realized that I could be using the discounts that they give you for like hotels and restaurants, and I never do. Um, But really excited to have that AAA membership. My thorn is that I have more work on my task list today than I think I have time to do. Um, it's just one of those days, but you know what? We have to do it. We're going to figure it out. We'll make it, we'll make it happen. And my bud is I'm writing this on a Friday and most Friday nights I can take a long bath with a book or a movie. And I am definitely looking forward to that today. Okay, so let's get into today's questions. Question number one. Hello, Sarah Jane. Thank you so much for such a lovely podcast. Thank you. I appreciate your earnest, honest, and thoughtful approach to everything you share and the gentle yet encouraging way you teach. Thank you. Here is my question. I'm a social nine. I strongly identify with the high level of productivity that this type engages in order to support the group. This behavior has led to some pretty dramatic periods of burnout in my life, and I've worked hard over the years to establish boundaries and practice care. Over the past year, I've really started doing some even more deliberate work to resist doing all of the group's work and to develop my own interests so that I have something else to do with that time. I've started to make art and really love the way doing so challenges and stretches me. As I've released some responsibilities and created more margin and white space in my life, I find that I want to use much of that time to make art. Before I knew about the subtypes, I could not identify with the ways that nines numb. A common example given is binge watching TV and that it's something that I just never do. I always felt like I had to be hyperproductive. Now I wonder if my time making art is not actually representative of growth as a social nine. Finding something I love and doing it for the personal joy and growth it brings me. I'm just learning about and exploring an interest. Or if I'm just really engaging in like sloth or numbing myself since I can make art by myself, removing myself from the family for an hour at a time. And I definitely find the piece I covet during the time. And the reason I have that time at all is because I have released responsibilities that sometimes or often disrupted my sense of peace because human interaction is never effortlessly peaceful or easy. How can I better understand if I am moving towards right action or just numbing in a different way? Thank you. So I think this is where we can sometimes overthink the Enneagram. I do it all the time. It's almost like all of the elements of the type could possibly be bad, even if they seem to be having a positive impact on our life. So how do we kind of sort this out? I like to ask myself, what are the effects that it's having on my life? You know, are my relationships suffering? Am I procrastinating on things that bring me joy because I'm doing this instead? It sounds like the overall impact this is having on your life is a positive one. I mean, you said that you have found something that you love and are doing it for personal joy and the growth that it brings you. This doesn't sound like numbing to me. Numbing is really about not facing the realities of life. So this thing that you're loving isn't bad. 
right? It's letting you have the proper context that you want to be mindful of. If it starts to take away from your relationships and your ability to function or to feel alive, then ask what you're avoiding through art more than if the art is bad for you. Honestly, I think it can be as simple as, am I running toward something I love or running away from something that stresses me out? And sometimes in a given day, you could be doing one or the other and sometimes both. If you're asking for my opinion in general, I think it's as simple as having something that you're passionate about that brings you life is the opposite of being numb. This could be just part of your journey to releasing the shoulds that you've carried in your life. Like you let go of some of that hyper productivity and so you worry that you must be doing something wrong here. Like it couldn't just be okay to have done that so you must be messing up some other way. But I don't think it's like that. I think you're just experiencing freedom and pleasure and that is something that is totally safe to feel. And I think a great way to just keep coming back to that question, am I running towards something or running away from something? Thank you so much for sending in your question. Question number two. Hi, so excited about this podcast. I would love to know your thoughts on whether or not an Enneagram 7 wing 6 can be happy and fulfilled in a romantic relationship with a 2 wing 3 and vice versa. I'm a very emotional seven, and I'm typically attracted to fours and fives, but I'm interested in a very sweet, creative, but codependent two-wing three. He's amazing, but a little challenging. Curious about your professional thoughts and observations and what the best match for a seven-wing six typically is. For more context, I am a sexual social seven-wing six, not sure of his variant, his instinctual variant. He's big on self-sacrificial and unconditional love and is the greatest example of that that I've ever seen in a person. And I'm learning a lot about love through him. So first of all, of course you can make this work. Anyone can make relationship work with anyone else. The only thing that really matters is that you both show up committed to showing up for each other and for yourselves each day. So some things you may end up navigating together, um, you know, seven tends to need a little bit more independence than twos do. Um, twos tend to anticipate needs and may feel resentful when that's not reciprocated. Um, he may need re- reassurance from you and you may need space from him. And that could be difficult to navigate from time to time. But honestly, it sounds like you really respect him and holding on to that respect and experiencing that mutually is so key to managing our differences. If you feel, if you hold on to that sentence where you said, I'm learning a lot about love through him and he holds on to, you know, he's learning a lot about self-care through you or whatever it is that you learn from one another, this is going to be one of the elements that keeps you awed at your differences instead of resentful of your differences. But happy journeying with love here. Question number three. Hi, Sarah Jane. I was hoping you could answer my questions regarding my dad, who is a type seven. My family spent some time figuring out our types and my dad resonated with the core motivation and fears of type seven, particularly avoiding bad feelings. However, my dad is really unlike all of the stereotypes of a seven. He's deeply committed to what he does and his family. He isn't super energetic or flighty. He's incredibly knowledgeable about so many things. He's all around a very consistent person. So my question is, do you think the stereotypes of seven aren't showing the full picture? Or could my dad possibly be another type? Or is there a wing or a subtype of seven that may be a factor here that makes him more grounded and calm versus the stereotypes 
we often see of a seven. I appreciate you and your podcast. Thank you in advance. All the best, Emily. Hi, Emily. Yes, so the stereotypes can really get us mixed up with the Enneagram. Because at the end of the day, the Enneagram is about who we think we have to be, not what we do. So if he resonates with the motivation and the fears, and in general, he resonates with what's written for type sevens in books, not on Instagram, then he's a seven. I would guess he's either a social seven or a self-preservation seven, as those are two types are less like the stereotypes we're used to seeing. I will also say that it took me a long time to type for the same reason. I didn't feel like I was always hyper and flighty, but when I look back at my early 20s, I was so obviously a seven that it's kind of laughable. But as we get older and go on in our growth journeys with and without knowing the Enneagram, a lot of times we soften the edges of our type in the process of personal growth. We learn to be more grounded, to commit, to be safely in our bodies, and so on. Now, finally, subtype and wings and how safe he feels are all going to be factors in how his type shows up. So a social seven is more self-sacrificing. A self-preservation sevens are more family-oriented and business-oriented. A seven with an eight wing is going to be more individual, while a seven with a six wing will be more community-oriented. And a seven who feels safe and relaxed is able to take that intellectual energy that's usually spread over lots and lots of areas and really hone it in and go deep into one. So all of that to say, if he resonates with the motivations, he's probably a seven, but life and growth and other factors shift the way we show up in the world and can change the type structure like from the outside, the way it looks from person to person. I hope that that's helpful. Today's episode is brought to you by Public Goods. Public Goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. So rather than buying a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. I'm personally a really big fan of their all-purpose cleanser as well as their hand soaps and their dish soaps. They smell so good, like really expensive shampoo. It makes my house smell so fancy and their packaging is so simple that it makes it look really nice on my shelves. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is also so important. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They're committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We've worked out an awesome deal here, y'all. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. 
you have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash egram or use code egram at checkout. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash egram to receive $15 off of your first order. Question four. Hi, Sarah Jane. Love your podcast. Thank you. You delved into your past in the Manifestation Podcast Monday, and I was curious if you could go into how much our past affects our present life based on the Enneagram type, or if you believe this has any connection to our type. I'm still not entirely sure where I fit on the spectrum. Hi, yes. So the simplest answer is that the Enneagram is really a manifestation of our core childhood wound, the coping mechanism we form to get through the pain of that experience. I have an episode on the soul child theory that I think covers this really well. Um, If you want to go check that out as well. But for now, let's go through the types here. So type ones learned that they needed to be grown up. So they focused their attention on being good and doing the right thing. Twos in childhood learned they needed to earn love. So they focused their attention on becoming lovable. Threes learned they are valued for how successful they are. So they focused their attention on achieving. Fours learn that there's something uniquely wrong with them, so they focused on their attention on finding their significance. Fives learn that people will invade their space, and so they focus their attention on becoming informed and managing their resources. Sixes learn that life is unpredictable, and so they focus their attention on creating their own stability. Sevens learn that they could they would have to take care of themselves, and so they focus their attention on getting their needs met. Eights learn that they would be betrayed. So they focus their attention on being strong. And nines learned that it's better for everyone if they were invisible. And so they focus their attention on not being too much or intrusive. So essentially, it's who we thought we had to be. And as we grow, we have the chance to recognize that we can be so much more than how we've survived so far. But kind of the personality we develop exists to protect that childhood place in ourselves that learned we had to be certain kind of thing or that love was earned a certain way. Friends, thank you so much for having your questions sent in. I hope that this was helpful. As a reminder, if you have any Enneagram questions, you can call or text them in to 828-338-9127. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you tomorrow for the next episode. Mm-hmm.